Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Everything Auburn with your loyal Auburn-loving hosts, Taylor Davis and Jason Campbell. Welcome back, everybody. We apologize for no episode last week, but it was Thanksgiving, and so we hope everyone took some time to... uh, Take some time off and enjoy some quality time with your family, your friends, uh, and obviously really take some time to think about all that you have and all that you're grateful for, as is the meaning of the day. Jason and I certainly did that. And truth be told, I was not thankful for that South Carolina game, so I didn't want to do an episode talking about it. But we are back and we are here to wrap up the regular season, folks. It is officially concluded. We are going to talk about the uh, heartbreaking loss in the Iron Bowl. but some positives to look at as well. We'll talk about the season now that it's wrapped up, just awaiting that bowl game decision. And really beyond the field, Jay, there is so much to talk about. We actually just caught up without recording for about 30 minutes because there is so much happening in the world of college football right now in regards to Auburn, as well as a lot of coaching changes. So we're going to talk about all of it, get you caught up on everything college football But again, hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. We are very grateful for all of you that listen and follow along with our podcast. And I am very grateful for my co-host, Jason Campbell. Wouldn't do this with anyone else. But before we get into the meat and potatoes, as we do, go ahead and give you a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You just got to use our promo code believe 50 that's B L E A V five zero to receive your bonus. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports Bet online where the game starts. All right, J Cam, how you doing? How was Thanksgiving? I know it's, it's important to you because you <laughs> like food. <laughs> what Exactly. What up world? <laughs> what J Cam? Uh, Thanksgiving was great. It was awesome. Uh, you know, couldn't have had any better way. Uh, spent good. time with the family and food was really good. And now I'm back on my diet. Uh, <laughs> Aren't three, we all? 
for three weeks, for three weeks. And then, <laughs> and then I get back off of and it. And you fall off the wagon again. <laughs> right. You fall off the wagon again <laughs> after the new year. So you know how it typically goes. But yep. you know, what a great week though, man. I, you know, I know it was sour taste in our mouth from the Auburn loss. Um, yeah. but the guys fought their butts off. They played extremely hard. The atmosphere was electric. Uh, you know, the defense, you know, man, probably one of the better iron bowl defenses I've seen in a long time. And, uh, you know, those guys came to play, man. And, uh, just unfortunate that we fell on the short side of things at the end of the game. And, you know, we can talk about the whole overtime rules, which I don't like the fact you play that hard and you have to lose a game off a two point conversion. Like it, it has to be a better way. Like we can't just blow up the whole system because one game out of every 10 years, goes to seven overtimes yeah and honestly that was historic that game was so much fun why are we mad at it right so i'm just like come on you know nca we got to do better and just you know just from the overall standpoint of watching all this news this week taylor i I know we're anticipating so much to talk about like this is the soap opera of sports is the <laughs> final, the last regular season game in college football. Mm-hmm. Let's just sit on the couch and get your popcorn and just start listening and tuning in because one domino effect affects the rest of them. And oh there gosh. are so many domino effects that's falling in place right now. And it's kind of fun, but it is also kind of sad because some co- coaches are losing jobs. And, mm-hmm. but you know, as people tell me, Jay, how can it be so sad when they get paid millions of dollars to, to lose a job? Like, you're where right. else do you find a job like that? I say, you know, you, you, you're honestly right. Maybe I need to go get into coaching. So, you <laughs> totally, know, <laughs> back to you, Taylor. hundred percent. Yeah, we were talking about the uh, massive Lincoln Riley deal, and that'll just make you really reevaluate all of your life's choices <laughs> in terms of why you didn't get into college coaching. But anywho, we're going to talk about all of that. Let's go ahead and put a bow on this regular season. Talk about the Iron Bowl. Like you said, a well-fought game, specifically on the defensive side. This was an unbelievable performance for this defense, a defense that has showed up all season, obviously never perfect, but played their hearts out, played with intentionality, played smart football, and you can really tell that there was an intentional game plan from Derek Mason in affecting this Alabama offense. Because what we have said all season in watching Alabama is that there are weaknesses. There are very obvious apparent weaknesses for Alabama, a lot of them on the offensive side of the ball. It's the reason they lost to AM. It's a part of why they should have lost to LSU, Florida, and arguably Arkansas. So This defense came in aware of those discrepancies and had a plan to take advantage of them. And I thought the guys played lights out. The defensive line came to play seven sacks on Bryce Young. I was so impressed. Derek Hall had three sacks on his own. And then everyone beyond it really just it it was their mission. Without the defense, this would have been a very different ballgame, honestly, because the offense, as has been the narrative of the season, had a lot of weak spots that the defense made up for. So very impressed with that. Um, And certainly something that, you know, arguably could be the reason that Derek Mason's name is not in headlines right now. And Mike Bobo's is, and obviously we're going to talk about that as well. But um, like I said, seven sacks on Bryce Young, 11 tackles for loss. Zacoby McLean had seven tackles and a pass breakup. 
Roger McCreary, who just, you felt like his name was being called the entire broadcast. He was flying around everywhere. Mm -hmm. Seven tackles and four pass breakups for him. Um, Bryce Young, who is obviously in Heisman conversations, completed less than 50% of his passes against this defense. He had two touchdowns and one interception. So let's just talk about the defense real quick. I know you touched on it a little bit in your overview, but um, just overall your impressions of them as season went on, how they closed it out against this Alabama offense. And keep in mind, they were still without Owen Papo, who is without doubt one of the best in the SEC, and they made up for that absence as well. I just, my hat's off to the way they came to conclude the regular season. Well, every time it comes to the Iron Bowl, uh, the one thing that these coaches always do is they always hold back a little bit something. They always keep a package, especially just for the just for Alabama. And, you know, you heard Coach Saban come out and say in his press conference this week, he said they did a lot of things that we haven't seen them do all year. And yeah. that just goes to show you, like, the, the type of pressures and different things that we've talked about during the season that we kind of wanted to see they was just saving it for the Iron Bowl. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, been, it would have been great if we could have got to this spot and this was on the line for the SEC West because, you know, coaches tend to do that, you know, because that game always comes at the right time because it can either destroy a champion or it can send somebody to the championship game, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, you always keep something in your back pocket. And uh, these guys came out, like you said, I think, you know, from a, from a standpoint of watching this game, though, from the time of the game, Taylor, like it was just – these guys, they was just itching at the bit to just like get to them. Like, you know, they hit they hit Bryce early and often. And I give that kid some credit as well. Like he didn't flinch. Like even when he was getting his tail knocked off, he was still getting up and, and coming true. back. And especially when the game was on the line at the end of the game like that, he had a couple of fourth down throws and then the, the throw to go ball. Uh, you know, and everything. So, and missing his top receiver. So you have to give him some credit as well for hanging in there. And I always say, it's not so much just your stats, but it's just like, what do you do in crucial moments? Do you make the great throws in the, in the biggest moments of the game? And he did that. Uh, I I think Roger McCrary made a lot of money for himself in this game. Yeah, Um, I agree. You know, he was traveling with Williamson at first and Williamson get, you know, he gets out the game on a, you know, on a, on a hit that you know helmet to helmet and then all of a sudden they got Mechie. they just got so many receivers then all of a sudden they throw the ball to Mechie like 15 times they targeted and roger mccray was on him most of those times and uh and everything great design the end on that two-point conversion that they designed to to create the opportunity for him but this game from start to finish our guys won from start to finish the problem is on the scoreboard it just doesn't say it because you know we got gas like we yeah. got gas and you have every reason to see why they got gas in the locker room after the games, guys just laying down on the floor, like just exhausted because they gave it everything that they had. And right. you can't ask no much, no, nothing else um, out of your players. We lost the game was on situational football. And that's the thing that separates the Alabama football teams from a lot of other teams. When you, when you always say, man, they always find a way to win at the end. They always find a way to win. At the end. Well, yep. the reason behind that is because they, they really honed in on situational football and they win those aspects of the game. And, you know, if we could have just found a way to just stay in bounds right there, you know, that would have ran off a whole nother 40 some seconds. And then we would have had to punt, and they would probably got the ball back 40 some seconds and have to go 98 yards with no timeouts. Like, I don't think you can do that. Like, they've been throwing a Hail Mary from the 50 yard line. So it's right. just things we have to learn from in that, in that aspect. 
Yeah, I would agree with you. I was having this conversation with multiple people since the game, just about how you can look at the narrative of this season for Alabama and go, they're not that good. They, they, well, first of all, they did lose to A&M. They should have lost to Florida, should have lost to LSU, should have lost to Auburn. But then you also look at it and go, they are that good because they should have lost to X, Y, and Z, and yet they didn't. They find a way to win every time. There is a mental fortitude about it. There is a situational awareness, even when the stage is massive, even when all of your goals are literally on the line, they are dependent on this one down. They are effective and smart and intentional and aware enough to make sure the moment doesn't get too big for them. And look, Jordan here was electric. Like you're saying that environment, they had everything stacked against them at that moment. And yet they find a way to make it happen. And so that at the end of the day is a big part of why they are what they are and why even with an SEC championship loss, which I fully expect them to get, they're probably going to be in the playoff because that is just what you expect to see out of this program. And and that's what they've garnered over the past several, several seasons. But offensively, what I know, I know. You said they going I... to the playoffs after a yeah. loss to Georgia. Oh, okay. I did. You don't think so? Team? I'm just saying. You know, I, I understand the Notre Dame effect now that Brian Kelly is leaving, going to LSU, and they're still in the playoff hunt. I just think yep. if Alabama loses this game to Georgia, based off their almost losing to us and almost losing to LSU and Arkansas, there was already some people like questioning. But I'm just like everybody gears up to play that team. You know what I'm saying? So, but. If they lose to Georgia by more than two touchdowns, they're out. They lose to Georgia more than 10 points, they're out. Now, if they lose to Georgia by three, maybe they're in. Yeah, and I mean, look, that one will be interesting because I think Georgia's defense is just – I have no adjectives. They're unbelievable. But their offense has not been all that shiny and impressive. So, like, if Bam is able to put several points on the board, then this thing could be more interesting than expected. I just don't think Alabama's going to be able to do that against this Georgia defense. But I think that the way the committee looks at Alabama and – Look, the reality of this thing is it's a money grabber. I mean, they they are going to put the teams in there that are going to bring a lot of viewership and that fans are going to travel. And Alabama is the glitzy team. And and I just I think that they still hold some power in that, you know, eye test or strength of schedule, blah, blah, blah. The committee's going to find a way to put them in. That's just what I think. But. I mean, I hope you're right, Jay. I would rather not see them there again. But <laughs> I'm just saying, how you lose that uh, one loss Oklahoma State team? You know what I'm saying? Or I know. And so then, Cincinnati, Cincinnati sitting there like, hey, they're they number should. four right now, so they should get in there. But if they up up and lose against Houston this weekend, now a two loss Alabama team could get in there. Well, even if okay, if Cincinnati's undefeated, Georgia wins the SEC title. Those two are locks. You still mm-hmm. got two spots. Who's taking them? If not Bama, Oklahoma State. Right, Oklahoma State would have to fall in there. Michigan would be the other. Oh my gosh! I yeah, mean, Michigan would be the other. So there will be pigs flying outside <laughs> if they lose in the playoff this year. But Keep what happens out, if people. Georgia loses? What happened if Georgia? Because this has been college football season all year. They're both like, going in. Like exactly. So if Georgia lose, you can't say Georgia's out of it. Like they've been undefeated all year and they lost yeah. in the SEC championship game. So you can't award a team that's not playing in a championship game to go and play in front of them. So well, then- beyond that, I think actually 
if Alabama wins the SEC championship, their bid to the playoff is more con- like assured because you're going to look at them and go, they're a one loss Alabama team who went in and beat the number one team undefeated team in the country in an SEC title game. So they're for sure in. But then how do you say Georgia, oh, the one loss to an Alabama team that we're giving all this praise to and you can't be in? No, they'll both be in if Bama wins. Exactly. They'll both be in and Bama will move to one. And Bama will play Cincinnati and then Michigan and Georgia will play the first game in the playoffs. If Bama ends up number one, I'm just going to punch myself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> I really can't. Uh, you, better, you better hope Georgia beats them this weekend. <laughs> Literally, or else you're going to see me with a black eye. All right, let's finish up. I told y'all this is going to be a very uh, ping pong episode because there are just so many things to talk about. But offensively, 159 yards of total offense. TJ Finley, majority of the game on a bum leg. You do got to give him credit for continuing to gut it out because clearly he was hurting. 137 passing yards, two touchdowns, a very costly interception, unfortunately. Um, But this team led 10 to nothing heading into the fourth quarter. And I think that is arguably more gut-wrenching because of what happened the two weeks prior. This was the third straight game that a double-digit lead was given up. And when you talk situational football, when you talk down to the wire, not letting the moment get too big for you, this Auburn team's not there yet. So if you have a lead, it's imperative that you hold on to it to give this team a chance just because of where we are right now. And so when that momentum started to swing and Bama had the amount of time that they did to get the ball back, you just felt like you knew what was coming. And then unfortunately, overtime is what overtime is. Uh, with 24 seconds left, Bryce Young hit Ja'Cory Brooks for a 28-yard touchdown to tie it up. We went into overtime, matched with touchdowns in the first, matched with field goals in the second, matched with two point conversions in the third and we head to the fourth for the first time in history and unfortunately we all know how it ended and we fell 24 to 22 i hate the overtime rule you mentioned it at the beginning i do not like forcing these things to be determined on freaking two point conversions but when you mention two point conversion you open up a debate that clearly was going to happen and that is should you have gone for two after getting that first touchdown in overtime instead of kicking the field goal and going into a second. Like you said, Jay, it was very evident that this team was gassed. This team was exhausted, and you're going up against an Alabama team that history shows when they're in a situation like this, their depth, their talent, their athleticism, they got plenty in the tank. Auburn, maybe not so much. You got a quarterback with one leg, essentially. Should they have gone for two? Well, hindsight 2020 is always that's great. true. And that's I always best, give best, people but, the benefit of the doubt now. Right. So like if you're on that sideline and you're thinking like, hey, coach, you know, do we go for two here? Because I'm I'm be honest with you. From my opinion, when Alabama scored first in overtime, I was thinking in my head, like, dang, how are we gonna score? We haven't scored in so long and they've been playing really good. So when we did score, you know, for a second. And you think about that throwback to the tight end on two-point conversion, that would have won the game had we chosen to go for that then. And the stadium would have erupted. Like, it would have rushed the field. It would have been one of those, like, kick-sits type games, you know, um, and, and everything. But also you can see why they didn't go for two because the simple fact that, yes, you can see the word gas, but our defense has held them the entire game until right. the fourth quarter where they got 10 points. And maybe you're banking and saying, hey, we score here. We kick the field goal. All right, we go to the double overtime. If we score again, 
I'm going to bank that our defense may hold them and see yeah. if they can try to put the pressure on them to see if they can get in the end zone the second time. And uh, so I can see why they didn't go for it based off of that and everything. So I don't fault them for not going for it. Uh, like I said, because if, if he would have went for it and we got it, like I said, everything would have been hero. Everything would have been people would have been going crazy. But if he didn't get it, I don't think many people would have fought him for that because the fact that we were so gassed, like our guys were done. But, right. uh, you know, so either way, I'm not going to say either one was the right decision or not the right decision. I just feel like, you know, we gave ourselves an opportunity. If you would have told me before the game, like I was telling everybody, everybody thought I was crazy. I was the one around telling everybody that Auburn has a chance. I said, I saw this team play LSU. I saw this team play Arkansas. People around me talking about, nah, man, I just don't, I, I just don't see it, man. You see how we play? Like I said, guys, I played in this game. I said, it doesn't matter. Yeah. How you played last week. I said, I played my sophomore year in Alabama's ranked top 10 and had the number one defense in the nation. And nobody gave us a chance to go in there and win that game. We beat them 17 to seven in, yep. in, in Tuscaloosa. So I was just like, you can't base last couple of weeks on this game. I said, it's just different. And I said, just watch and see. I said, Vegas has no idea of putting a 21 point spread. I said, they know nothing about the Iron Bowl. And uh, and the guys went out there and like exactly like I said, gave ourselves an opportunity. So to answer your question, that was my answer. Yep, I agree. I, I think I looked at <laughs> that decision. I mean, I was getting texts because my game was on at the same time as the Iron Bowl, unfortunately. Yeah. But I was getting texts from multiple people saying, why wouldn't you go for two? And I was like, what are they talking about? So whenever I got to rewatch it and I was reading up on it, I was like, OK, I, I see the argument here, but. It is so easy for us to say what we would do when we're sitting on our couch eating Cheetos, you know, like right. when you are the guy <laughs> with that actual power and that game, the magnitude of it is on your shoulders based on that decision. You don't know what you would have done, you know, and you can't fault whichever decision was was pulled. I know that that one would have been such a big reward but it was also a very high risk because if you go for two and don't get it and you took yourselves out of the opportunity, like then that fault is on you maybe heavier than the fact that we just couldn't stop their final two point conversion attempt in fourth overtime. Like you don't right. fault that one as much. You, if we missed that two point conversion, people would have been like, why are you getting greedy? Kick the field goal and let's go right. again. You know, right. now, our defense it, is playing great. Give them exactly. a chance. You just, so I understand the philosophy behind that. And I actually can't agree with it just because of, of the exhaustion that you could tell was on our team. And the fact that TJ Finley was barely able to walk. But I also can understand that if I were in that situation and I knew the backlash that was possible, I, I understand the, I guess, what you could call conservative approach to that one. So that's that was my thought. But um, now the running game really struggled. Once again, 65 yards on 32 attempts by our running backs. Our offensive line is probably what was the weakest this week. They allowed six sacks this week, uh, really struggled in, in creating much of a run lane. I, I don't necessarily think it was the best showing for our running back, specifically tank. Uh, but I think the offensive line has a lot of work to do, whether it's transfer portal, whether it's, you know, just finding the same five guys that can stick with it. I know there's been several injuries. Brandon council was back, but there's been some shuffling on that offensive line, which certainly doesn't help. But I think when you look at this thing at a whole, 
it, it, that was probably the the weakest position group in in this game. Now, someone I want to give a shout out to because it doesn't get done very often. Oscar Chapman. Okay, the punter. I mean, the guy did everything you can ask a punter to do. He punted 10 times in this game, averaging 42.7 yards per punt with a long of 57, two over 50. He had five punts downed inside the 20, three inside inside the 10, and each of his last two were inside the five. And you know what? I just, I want to give some love to the punters because they don't usually get it. And if you, so many times we talk field position and it was the reason that this thing was kept as close as it was down to the wire, because even with, you know, workable time left when Bama got the ball back, we continually put them in compromising field position and made them do something with it. And that's all you can ask for with your special teams unit. So I uh, shout out to him. Very impressive. But nonetheless, yeah, shout out. Um, Now the whole like karate kid stance thing. I was like, all right, calm down. You're still a punter. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you can't (laughs) do that. Um, But anyway, so that's, that's how this year's iron bowl went (laughs) it hurts i know uh and auburn wraps up the regular season with a six and six record which certainly does not feel right especially when you look at so many of the game i mean arguably four of those losses were within actual grasp you know um maybe more i mean the penn state game you could argue was you know within reaches really the only one that was a definite was georgia right Penn State game, the targeting call, yeah. Mississippi State, the 40 unanswered, South, South Carolina. Carolina you punch know, yourself. <laughs> uh, that's another situational game to me. You know, know. fourth and one, you know, we decided to throw a pass. You know, yep. it's just, you know. Well, just, hey. I mean, a lot of it, you know, unfortunate play calling. Everyone was unhappy with the fade on fourth in the Penn State game, whether or not, you know, Bo looked to the wrong side of the field, whatever. But Play calling situational football has been a topic for discussion all season, and it seems like action has been taken to hopefully address it because Mike Bobo is out as offensive coordinator. He initially signed a three-year deal to come on with this Harson staff, so he will be owed $2.6 million, but after this year, he will no longer Ooh. be offensive coordinator. Yeah, I know. Go take you a $2.6 million vacation. Um, but... He is officially out as offensive coordinator. Who gets brought in or potentially moved up? Uh, We will wait and see. But I can't say I was surprised. I think um, maybe timing surprised me. But honestly, with the way this week has gone, not really, because it feels like everyone's going to go ahead and make their moves right now. Um, But it just it, it didn't feel like what he came in and what he and Harson discussed in terms of what this offensive identity was going to be ironing out some of the wrinkles, especially in terms of inconsistency in terms of the next OCJ, I'm not going to ask you to give me your opinion on Bobo's firing, but in terms of who comes in next, what is needed? Now I know that we, we don't know what personnel we're going to be dealing with next year. Obviously there's a decision to be made for Bo Nix and and who's going to be, our QB one next year is as much of a mystery right now as it really ever has been. So without knowing exactly who we're working with, what do you think this program and, and following the foundation that was set this year, what is needed in an offensive coordinator? 
Well, you got to think, coming into this year when Bolo and Hurts this Auburn offense, like, just, just face it, you know, it was a totally different style offense that these kids have ran. Like, no one has ever seen the quarterback underneath the center. Uh, no one has gotten into a huddle. Uh, you know, and, and from that standpoint, he was trying to implement, you know, power football back into a team that was used to finesse football and, uh, and used to going fast like a NASCAR. You know, everything was so fast, so fast, so fast to the point where this year they were trying to slow it down and get back to some power football and, you know, and putting the quarterback in some different situations where he's underneath the center, he's in shotgun, like keep the defense on their heels a little bit. And it takes a little time to try to implement all of that and uh, and everything. But like I said, when, when things don't go right at big universities like Auburn and everything, someone has to take the hit. And, you know, yes, you can look at some of the things over the last couple of weeks and there were some questionable calls and everything, but that can go questionable calls on in, in, in a lot of things. You know, and you also got to put some onus on some of these players too as well. You know, you know, they have to do some things better as well. So, you know, unfortunately, one person or two, three people, you know, has to take the broad of it. And like I said, like, you know, he's going to get paid to go home which I doubt he goes home. He'll probably end up as a quarterback coach somewhere or, you know, land back on his feet. But, you know, it's just when it gets to this time of the year, expectations are high, especially at these universities where football is like the bread and butter that all the other, all the other things along with the university fees off of. So you got to think like it affects everything around it. So, you know, just thinking about like, who's going to be the next offensive coordinator. You know, there's a few names that's been thrown around. You know, Jeff Grimes, you know, he was the Auburn's offensive line coach from 2009 to 2012. He's now currently he's the Baylor offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. Joe Moorhead, you know, he's a guy that's um, – he's recently he's been at Penn State and Mississippi State and, you know, Oregon. He's been averaging about 33 points per game, you know, under his under his uh, toolage. Uh, yeah. There's another name we're hearing out there, Jeff Levy. Uh, yeah. Everyone knows Jeff Levy. He's uh, Ole Miss Rebels uh, and everything. So, you know, 35 points per game. But I think Lane Kiffin has a lot to do with that uh, right. from my aspect. Uh, Dan Mullen, you know, I'm not going to come in no. on, but. No, no, no. I will. <laughs> Hell no. Nope, nope, no. Next. <laughs> That's what they put out there. And the last name I'm hearing is Eric Gasol. I think I said it right. Uh, you know, he's the Auburn's receiver coach. He was the offense coordinator at Boise State. And well, do they move him from receiver coach up to offensive coordinator and everything? So that's the things that we're hearing right now. Uh, things may change. Maybe another name out there. Who knows? But there's going to be a lot of shakeups before Christmas. You know, let's just face Lord. it. Somebody it's going to be a lot of gift giving, which, yep. you know, so we'll see what happens here and, and everything. But I think a lot of these kids – like as far as both transferring or not transferring or going to the NFL or not try or whatever, whatever decision he's going to make, I'm pretty sure a lot of it's going to have to do with whoever they hire as the offensive coordinator. Okay. Where do they see him fitting in their scheme and system? Right. What is his talk with coach Harson is going to be like when they have those end of, end of, end of season meetings, one-on-one, -on -one? Mm -hmm. uh, how does Harson see him in his program next year? And how does Bo's recovery coming with his ankle? So it's so many things that has to be answered. It has to be right. seen and, and gone through before there's any decisions made on both parties. So, you know, a lot of things can change over the next couple of weeks. Like right now, intensity is high. 
everybody wants to know like what's next what's next what's next mm-hmm. because the season just ended but a lot of these things are gonna take some time they they they, they gotta just like when you're cooking cooking a good home cooked meal you gotta let it season a little bit you know so yeah. you gotta let this thing season over the next month but i'm telling you after the bowl games that's when things gonna get really interesting right now it's the right now it's the coaches thing after the bowl game it's gonna be the transfer portal and yeah. how does auburn doing the transfer portal is gonna have a lot to do with what they do next season you lose four to top five linemen on your offensive line next year so yeah how you, you can't bring in all freshmen and say we're gonna start you so you have to go oh, get some guys in the transfer portal you have to go get some guys in junior college you gotta go to juco route like yeah. i always think offensively offensive line and defensive lines you can you can quick in a hurry improve by going juco route or get some big guys in transfer portal because they're already experienced while you develop your younger guys but right. because you lost so many guys and we already had guys waiting in the wings that were freshmen and sophomores maybe we do maybe we don't know that if you already got the guys like that then it doesn't bother you but if you losing a whole guy front line you got to you got to move quickly because if you look around the sec right now it's getting harder not easier yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that that's certainly going to be a part of this offseason. And I think figuring out the offensive coordinator is is a necessary piece to that while going about that process. Um, I think that what's an interesting conversation, even in terms of all the other coaching changes that we're seeing right now, is like, where is the line between patience and wasting time. And I think that is something that the SEC in particular doesn't do a great job with. And I'm going to dive into that a little bit more because I have backup for it, I promise. But we have one more sponsor to tell you about, and that is Lightbox. Say goodbye to dull gifts, people. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds that you can find at a light price, $800 a carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are just grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in blush pink and a beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the best gift they'll never want to take off, and they're priced so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. So visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Okay, so this year in particular for my career, I started the season doing a lot of SEC games, and the second half I did a lot of ACC games. And having the experience around both, there is such a stark contrast in the grace period, I guess I'll say, given to coaches. When I cover SEC schools and have to, you know, interview these coaches and talk to them, most of them are on like year two or three. Going to the ACC, meeting these coaches, working with them, most of them are on year eight or nine. And when you look at the ACC, It's not like it's because they're crushing it. It's because they're allowed time. Now, I see both sides of this argument because I'm sure people hear it and go, well, yeah, we don't want to be the ACC. Look at them. Like the highest ranking right now is like 16. I get it. I get it. They're definitely not the same caliber of conference that the SEC is in terms of talent across the board. But at what point are we cutting our nose off to spite our face? Like, I feel like 
in the SEC, we get so reactive instead of responsive, right? I think that we we almost act in anticipation of something else happening that's going to affect us. Like, it's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses. It's a lot of trying to appease fans that are never going to be happy. Even Nick Saban went on a rant about Alabama fans because they're entitled, which, sorry, coach, we've known that for years. But anyway, um, <laughs> you just, you feel like you can't win. Like, our level of allowance of time in the SEC is practically non-existent. And sometimes I think that's maybe a problem because we could be getting out of something before we're really seeing it to its fullest potential. And I think the ACC is actually doing the opposite. Look at what Dave Clawson has built at Wake Forest now. I understand they're not competing on a national stage, but this is a great football team. They are now putting a lot into their facilities. They are establishing this program with him at the helm and he just signed an extension and he's on like year eight. This thing doesn't happen overnight. And for a lot of these SEC programs, I think we're getting rid of people and bringing people in wanting immediate success. And it's just not going to happen with the way that college football is right now. Now you add in NIL, you add in the amount of money that we now see is across the landscape of college football. What USC was able to pay Lincoln Riley is a testament to that. Okay. So when you look across the board at what you're competing against, just in terms of how college football is mapped out right now, immediate success or gratification is not going to happen. So at what point are we getting too impatient or are we really making high caliber decision in terms of who's leading these teams? I don't know. I think it's in a very gray area right now, though. Well, that well, great points. Uh, when you think about this, just speaks volume of what's everything that's happening. Like we live in a council culture society and yes. we also live in a popcorn society where everybody wants results immediately or everyone, everybody wants to be paid before actually doing the job. Like, yep. you know, so that's the type of society that we're living in right now. And when you think about, you know, I thought just last year we was in a pandemic. Where's all this money coming from, from these college right. programs to be paying all these coaches a hundred million dollars. I thought we yep. were trying to recover. Uh, so <laughs> I don't want to hear anything about money problems at these universities anymore. Uh, when, when you talk about, you know, why are these coaches getting paid so much crazy amounts of money? Well, a lot of it is the fear factor. A lot of these, a lot of these universities are getting fear because they feel like it's a scarce amount of coaches out there that could be great head coaches. Well, my whole thing is you never know until you give somebody an opportunity. Uh, that how you think they became great coaches if they're head coaches? Like someone giving them, a, someone gave them an opportunity. So you know, you look at the Brian Kelly hire. Like you said, he hasn't beat the SEC team but only one LSU. One year he gets 95 million over nine years. You know, Mel Tucker gets 10 years, 95 million at Michigan State. And then Lincoln Riley gets 110 million at USC. And he gets a 24 seven private jet access. And he gets us bought, they buy him a $6 million house. Like, wow. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand great coaches help make, create players and put them in position to win, but they're not doing this on their own. And my whole thing is these, these, these universities are reaching now. Like, when have you ever heard of someone signing 10 year contracts where they're committing to people that long? I get it. If you commit to Nick Saban that long, he's done it. He's been there. He's won over and over and over. Like these other coaches, they haven't won on national championship. How, how are they getting hundred million dollar contracts and, and everything? Where's the national championship at i get it they're a great offense in mind i get it that they they're winning nine and ten games but they haven't won championships like so where's the stipulation in these contracts for 
these coaches to have a performance base. When you play in the NFL, your contract, a lot of it is based off performance base. A lot of it is if you get cut, guess what? You get zero. These college coaches, they get fired. They get 12, 20, $30 million buyouts, $40 million buyouts. Like you fire me and give me $40 million. How sad I'm going to be. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just trying to figure out like, where's the win for the university? I don't know. Again, there is such thing as being too patient and wasting time with, you know, high caliber athletes. If you've got the wrong, you know, people in positions of, of authority within the programs, but you just want to be careful that you're giving something the time that it needs to gel and take its shape so that you're not moving on some from something prematurely just because you weren't patient enough. Maybe it is the right thing, but it, it takes a little time, you know, like, I don't know. I just think it's interesting in looking at the contrast of, of those conferences, for example, I am going to get your input on your favorite coaching hire so far. Um, but one more thing in regards to Auburn, unfortunately, if you guys have already entered the transfer portal, one of which being a guy who I have praised for not going into the transfer portal, but I do just want to go on record and say, I do understand his decision and uh, what he feels he needs to do because so far what he has accomplished at Auburn, it is definitely going to negatively affect his draft stock. And this guy deserves a stage that can, um, you know, help him in that endeavor in his final year of eligibility. And that is Sean Shivers who has entered wide receiver Elijah Cannon has also entered and defensive lineman Caleb Johnson. So those are the first three to enter the transfer portal remains to be seen if any more will follow suit, but we certainly wish them all the best. You know, Jay and I both have our opinions on the transfer portal. We've been honest about that, but it it's not with any, you know, bad feelings toward the kids that choose to pursue it. I think for, you know, you have to adapt to the times, whether you agree with it or not. And this is a reality of college football. And uh, all of these guys are trying to do what they think is best to attain a dream and uh, a goal that they ultimately are getting very close to, especially on like a guy like Sean, who only has one more year left. So uh, we certainly wish them the best and hope that this decision gets them there. Um, Okay, so finally, before we close this thing out, um, like we've touched on, a lot of coaching changes have already been announced. So you've got Billy Napier taking the job at Florida. You've got um, Brian Kelly taking the job at LSU. Lincoln Riley to USC. Rhett Lashley to SMU. Um, Gosh, let's see. Mel Tucker was extended. James Franklin was extended that name. Like it was so hot for a little while and then it just kind of fizzled and Penn state extended him. And so he took it, which I thought was smart. Um, we obviously still await moves that are, like you said, the residual domino implication from said move who now takes over at Oklahoma. There is talks about Cliff Kingsbury. There's talk about Mark Stoops. If that happens, who goes to Kentucky? Um, Miami still has not made a move with Manny Diaz, even though they have fired their athletic director. Do they do anything? There are talks about Mario Cristobal. There have been talks about Lane Kiffin. Does Lane get extended at Ole Miss and stay put there? Um, and then you've also got what what could still happen with Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Obviously, he's not going to entertain anything with the potential of them going to the playoff, but his name has and should be in a lot of conversations that uh, – could still unfold in interesting ways. So we've got a lot of that, obviously coordinator moves as well, which still are happening even to us. 
So, um, so far, the moves that have been made, whether extensions, oh, Virginia Tech is still without a head coach because they moved on from Justin Fuente. They have J.C. Price, who was their defensive line coach, who is in as interim right now, but um, they will certainly be looking for somebody. Duke has moved on from David Cutcliffe, who has been the head coach there for so long and is very well respected. Unfortunately, the Duke program has fallen off in the couple Uh, past seasons but remains to be seen who will fill two of those spots in the ACC so still a lot of openings still a lot of movements that you expect to still happen if Cristobal goes to Miami that Oregon job is a huge I mean it's just we could be doing this for weeks Jay (laughs) and I'm just I'm trying to hold on but so far in what has happened which one do you like the most Ooh, boy, I tell you what, you just made my head spin. I've never seen so much, <laughs> so many, so much domino effect in one, oh, one no. offseason. It's crazy. Um, it's almost like NFL free agency. Uh, let, yeah. let's just, you know, I, I, I'm going to say more than one, but I would probably say my favorite, is, I'm with you, is Billy Napers going to Florida yep. from Louisiana, Lafayette. Um, okay. The reason I say that is because he took a Louisiana Lafayette job and he won. Not just one year, he won consistently each and every year he was there. And when I watched him play on TV, he's a solid coach. And I yeah. think he wasn't afraid of the opportunity to move up and go to the SEC and face a Georgia team every year with Kirby and face a Tennessee team that's that's coming of age and uh and to be in the SEC, you know, like that that's a guy that I, I respect. And I, I think he's gonna do a really good job at, at Florida. I, I like Rhett Lashley going to SMU because I, I want to see what Rhett does there. Uh, just yeah. knowing him personally and everything. Uh, I think this is a great opportunity for him and his family uh, to, to get that job and, uh, and everything. So that was, that was, that was very, um, you know, surreal to see him get that job. And then, you know, pretty much, you know, let's just face it. Lincoln Riley taught people how to be smarter, work hard, work smarter, not harder. And, you know, he's going to USC and I'm going to tell you here, I'm going to tell you that now USC will be in the playoffs, maybe not next year, but the next four out of five years. And I'm going to tell you just because of the simple fact that all those top kids that used to be in California that would come all the way to Alabama or go to Oklahoma or go to these other places out of state, they used to go to USC back in the Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart days. Uh, are now going to start going back to USC because USC is a it's almost before the Rams got out there and the Chargers got out there, they was the team in LA outside the Lakers. Uh, you know, they was the second most popular team, and you no, know, maybe the Dodgers, but when USC football is rolling, like it has a huge effect on college football. And he's gonna get those guys that Pete Carroll used to get that stayed in state, you know? So he's gonna start getting all those top recruits and just think about it. He's gonna get so many guys in the transfer portal that's gonna leave Oklahoma, you know, and, and, and go there. So immediately next year, they're gonna be in a conversation because his team is gonna look totally different than what USC looked this year. So, you know, that was that was one, but dang, it was just so many of them. I, I, thought, the, I thought the coach from uh, Arunde was Arunde, I think, from Baylor that was a defense coordinator at LSU. I thought he was oh. probably going to get the LSU job once. Uh, yeah. at, but a lot of these guys are going for offensive-minded head coaches. And the reason mm-hmm. is the game is being passed around so much. The ball is being in the air. It's so many rules that, that are built for the offense that if you yeah. are a defensive-minded coach, your hands are tied in a lot of ways because you can only do so much now. You know, they don't they don't want to see 10 to nine, three to three, 
you know, even though sometimes those games are needed and fun, like I don't like watching seven on seven in football. Like right. I, I want to see the game being played. And I think these targeting rules need to be revisited after this season. Oh, like gosh, it yeah. needs to be, they need to revisit that. I don't believe in throwing kids out of the game after the first defense. I was just mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, give them a 15 yard penalty and a warning, something like that. Like, let's just not kick these games, kick these kids completely out the games. Um, overtime rules got to be adjusted. We, we, we got to figure out a better way. Like this, this can't be it. And I just think just overall, like, you know, roughing the passer, or yeah. like I'm a quarterback, but some of these roughing the passers have cost some people some games this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, some of them are not roughing the passer. Like, let's be very precise on what's considered roughing the passer because, yeah. you know, like we're taking football. What used to be known as football is now being called now is it's been it's becoming another name mm-hmm. and and it's not football. And so we got to find a way to, to keep the game the same. Keep it safe. I understand making it safe. That's what we all want. But there's better ways, guys. Let's let's just just get this thing figured out. I agree. Uh, I think that there are certainly plenty of kinks. I think that this year is also going to really add to the need for playoff expansion, which you and I have talked about. And I think Mm -hmm. that given the, you know, the various debates that are up in regards to the top eight, uh, I think that this is a great example and evidentiary support for expanding the playoff so that it won't fall on the committee and people won't have, you know, all their varying opinions on what they prioritize in a top four, give them a top eight and let them figure it out from there. So there has been so much to come from this (laughs) season. I mean, wow, what a year it has been. Uh, Obviously conference championship games will be this weekend and then selection Sunday, uh, we'll find out where we will be playing in a bowl this postseason and uh, more transfer and coaching news to come, I'm sure. But I think I'm going to close it up because we could probably talk for another three hours, but we'll save it for next week's episode. So with that, we will say goodbye here on Believe in Everything Auburn. Thank you so much for listening and following along all season long. Make sure you hit the subscribe button in the podcast app. If you have not already, you will get a notification every time we release an episode. So everyone enjoy your week. Enjoy conference championship weekend, and we will talk next week. War Eagle. War Eagle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.